I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to Resource Real Talk about real estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. I'm Jay Pitts. Baby, let's get into it. I'm excited today. <laughs> Jay doesn't want to wait. We have a very exciting guest here to talk to us today. And a lot of our listeners are probably familiar uh, with our good friend. Why don't, you, why don't you set this one up? Why don't you let them well, know what we're talking about? Well, a lot of you have I, I surely heard of Douglas Elliman, mm-hmm. right? One of the one of the you know, premier powerhouse luxury brands in residential real estate throughout the United States. You see their agents featured on the million dollar shows, as I call them, that, that I love to hate. Um, (laughs) actually some of the, some of those agents are very good and I've tried to give them props. Um, anyway, so, so today's guest, uh, you know, built a company in Southern California. He grew it tenfold in like five years, uh, and, and ultimately, uh, orchestrated the acquisition of that company, which was Telus properties, um, by Douglas element. And now he's, a you know, he's an executive with Doug, Douglas element. He's the president of brokerage for their Western region of the United States. So b- basically, basically he's the head of all Douglas element agents in California. He's that guy. He's, he's that, that he's that dude. Yeah. And, and so, I just I just couldn't be more excited to bring this gentleman to you because I think he is well 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 known on the West Coast um and and by those of us that follow nationally he's well known but a lot of people don't have the pleasure of getting exposed to the brilliance that this guy brings to our industry and I think he can probably best be characterized as a renaissance man you know, he'd probably snicker if he heard me say that. So it's a good thing he's not on the line right now. But, um, you know, he'd probably snicker if he heard me say that. But, like, the guy was, like, a, a professional tennis player, an instructor <laughs> after. Uh, or he was a professional tennis player. And then he worked at Goldman Sachs. And, you know. He, Done it all. He did, he did, the, he did the, the Wall Street thing. And then quit and, like, moved to Hawaii to be a tennis instructor. <laughs> sold, like, a startup. I mean, like, the dude is just, he's, he's very interesting. And he's got some great opinions to share. So, Absolutely. Really excited. All week, I've been telling agents here in our office that we've got Sharon on the show with us today. And they were all, everyone is asking, what, well, what are you guys going to talk about? And I've been telling everyone, it's basically like, we're going to approach the, the Wizard of Oz of real estate and just ask him, like, as, as an oracle, what he thinks is coming up next. So. so, Sharon is great. And I don't even know if I said his name a minute ago. But you probably Sh- didn't. Sharon Shravatsa, um, again, president of brokerage for the Western region at Douglas Elliman in the United States. And I met him, you know, several years back. And he's, 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 had some serious influence over my business and several people actually we've had on our show, Dustin Oldfather, Doug Edrington, Tom Tool, you know, all these guys that I've met, had the pleasure of meeting through our coaching experience with Tom Ferry. I've had uh, all, the opportunity to meet Sharon there as well. So Sharon.com, S H A R R A N. We'll have a link to that. Too. Yeah. We'll have a link to that on the show notes afterwards. So, I guess, man. I mean, that's about all I got. Without further ado, I guess we ought to bring him in. These people don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from Sharon. So let's get to it. We'll be right back.
And we're back, folks. And as we told you just before the break, we've got a very, very special treat for you today. A gentleman that is a good friend of mine, someone who's had an enormous amount of influence over my career. And I'll tell a short story here in a, here in a moment about how we met. But we have on the line with us Sharon Srivatsa, who is the president of brokerage for the Western region for Douglas Elliman. He was most recent. He most recently grew Telus Properties by tenfold in just five years, and architect- architected uh, the acquisition by Douglas Elliman. He's former executive at Goldman Sachs, Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Sharon's a keynote speaker and has contributed to our industry in an immeasurable way. Uh, started the real five AM greatness as a choice call, where over a thousand entrepreneurs and real estate folks get together every single day, of which I am also a part. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today, buddy. Hey, Jay. Thank you for uh, the opportunity. I'm excited to be with you. Awesome, man. Awesome. So we'll get right into it, Sharon. We talked a little bit before the break about uh, what we wanted to discuss with you today. And, you know, again, like I said, you know, since that day, and I guess I'll go ahead and get the story out of the way, I first joined coaching and you and I had a chance encounter just happened to, I don't know if you remember this, it was Tom Ferry's 2014 Success Summit. And we just happened to sit next to one another randomly. And it, it was my first event. I was just kind of getting the lay of the land. And you were very warm and inviting. And, you know, it's funny, I, I, as as people tend to do with these things, you kind of disappeared on me all of a sudden. And next thing I know, you're walking out on stage to speak after you and I had spoken <laughs> for probably, you know, the first couple of hours. But, um, you know, I really appreciated what you brought to the table then and the same today. So I'll get right to it. Um, you know... I've I've grown to really appreciate uh, your take on some of the larger national trends that I see in the real estate market. And our listeners tend to uh, kind of come to us for this kind of all-encompassing view of the real estate market, not just Louisville, Kentucky, which, as you know, we're from. So start off just real broad, man. Like, what trends do you see on the rise with residential housing in the United States? Yeah, Jay, thank, thank you for the kind words. Um, and, you know, the, the markets are very near and dear to me. Uh, I'm not an economist in any way. I, you know, I think about the business, think about all the econom- economics as a business owner would. How should I think about my assets? How should I think about my resources? How should I think about my business? How, should, how did that impact our clients? So while I may not quote a lot of data as accurately as an economist would, I closely follow themes and trends. So let's, let's actually, you know, zoom out for one quick second, right? So what are the state of affairs? that we see in today's market. Super interesting uh, because most consumers are single-issue voters, right? They always think about, this is the question that most consumers ask when a piece of economic data comes out. What, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect me? And I'll tell you this, the faster we can get our clients and our consumers to stop asking that question, the better we all will be. Because (laughs) it is not about how is it going to affect me? It is about Here's, let me offer a better question. How do I think about how this is going to affect me? How do I think about how this is going to affect me? Because the, the first one, okay. how is it going to affect me, goes directly to, you know, someone else is making these rules and it's affecting me and I'm the victim, right? But sure. if, if we are just playing in the structure of the economy that we're provided, and if we can say, how do I think about how this is going to affect me? Things change very quickly. So let's let's talk about some state of affairs right now. Stuff that I generally track. You know, we are um, we've added back almost all the jobs we lost from the recession, and then added a bunch more on top. Sure, that's one. Unemployment has dipped 
you know, below 5% in, you know, in aggregate across the economies of the, at least the markets that I track. Uh, sure. you've got stock market that's near all time highs and right. across major indices. So the average consumer is feeling kind of wealthy in their portfolios, which is a good thing. Yep. The, you've got things like Bitcoin at an all time high. So you <laughs> even have spec, speculative traders that are feeling good about what they have. I know. Right. Interest rates remain low. You know, even though even though they are trending, and you've got you know recent news from the Fed on this stuff, and we can talk more about that later. Uh, interest rates still remain at historic lows for consumers, especially in housing. So even uh, the, even we need the small increases for the health of the economy. We've got the you know state governments around the country running at budget surpluses, which is very good. Um, and I track you know two things. One. California, where we live, remains a really popular destination for us and the rest of the world. So I, I you know, I, that's my California plug here. The last one, I think this is what everyone will love, is home prices are rising, right? And they and oh, that is, you know, if you just move all the clutter away, James. Yep. We should just stop and say home prices are rising, and they're rising in a healthy way. And let's not like overcomplicate this. The structural, um, you know, impact of the economy is allowing us to see healthy increases in home prices. Therefore, not only are our clients feeling wealthy in their liquid portfolios, not only do they have secure jobs, not only are they seeing wage and income growth, they're also seeing growth in their assets that they live in and walk in and breathe in every day. So um, pretty exciting times for where we live in. Absolutely, man. And I, and, and I, I agree with that. And, you know, kind of... Distilling all that down, you know, some people would, and I don't know, this is an interesting paradigm that you see sometimes when things are going too well, people begin to become fearful. You know, the bubble talk comes out, the things like, you know, people just can't get an, like, I guess it's too much of a good thing, right? Which, which shouldn't be the case, right? So, so all of these, these economic indices, all these things, all these indicators that you're pointing to the positive, you know, have people talking about the the potential for a bubble, which, you know, I, I don't see it necessarily, not just yet. I know markets rise and fall, and that's the nature of things. Right. So my, I guess my question, the, the one, you know, true problem I think that we do see, and I'm interested to get your take on it, is inventory. So some would have you believe that those, sh- those stark price increases that you're talking about is solely um, based upon the fact that we have a shortage of saleable inventory and we have demand that exceeds it. Is that your take or are you thinking more along the lines of the fact that this, the appreciation is kind of like, kind of like a dollar cost averaging of, of the years, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're just making back the appreciation that we didn't get during the great recession. What, what do you, what's your take yeah. on that? Great question, right? So we're talking about low, 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 I see inventory, directly as low turnover, which is essentially, in, and, and you know, I'm a simple guy, Jay, to me in English that means, hey, you've got long-time homeowners that are not moving in as much in, you know, like they did in the past. That's essentially what it is, right? right. And so if you talk about that from an inventory or supply perspective, you know, let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit because I think you, you and I will enjoy this conversation, right? So why, I, I agree with you, I think that there is a, there is a shifting trend towards homeowners not moving as much as they did in the past. And I've got a few kind of thoughts around it. Number one, uh, there, and I'll, I'll talk about it from a California perspective, just because it's the market that I know, but it, it should translate to the rest of the country. So number one, as 
they, as home prices increase, uh, while it may not have this much of a significant impact in bread and butter markets and in the you know uh, markets across America, the capital gains hit just gets mm-hmm. irritating for people, right? It just like I've got I've got clients right now here in California. They're like, I just don't want to move because I just don't want to pay the taxes on it. So that's <laughs> sure. so that which is weird, and I get it, right? And you can always transfer it, et cetera. So that's one. Number two, there are um, state. Uh, you know, state laws and provisions across states in the country that talk about these low property taxes. So you originally paid property taxes on what you got. You've got significant appreciation. They can't really jack up the taxes on it. So you've got, hey, you're you're excited to live where you are. So that's number two. Right. There is still a lot of people have uh, kind of financed into a lower rate of the current mortgage. So they're actually happy with their monthly nut, if you will. And so sure. they're they're like, hey, you know, I can I I've got a good lifestyle. I can manage my nut. I refinanced on a fixed rate for thirty years during two thousand nine. So I'm paying, you know, two point nine percent, and I'll never get this rate ever again. So why should I ever move? Right, right. And then you have this. Um, you have two things that I I track. Uh, I'm tracking Jay, which is number one. There's a significant demographic shift, and the demographic shift is what are boomers doing. And what are millennials doing? I mean, they they can constitute the majority. If you combine those two groups, they're the biggest. They're the biggest groups that are influencing everything. And I think there's a demographic shift. You've got you've got the boomers that are saying, "Hey, I've built all this equity in my uh, in my home. I'm happy in my uh, portfolio. I'm happy with my job. I'm just thinking about what retirement might look like, and can I afford this later? And how you know do I have to work longer? That's the boomer conversation. The millennial conversation is, how can I rent everything, right? Like, how can I rent everything? I mean, they want to own nothing. And it's okay. We should just be okay with the new normal. And I think the biggest, if not, you know, the the number one thing that I see is, where can I afford to go? Where can I afford to go? go? And, man, I'll tell you a lot of times, you know, Jay, you probably do this with your team and your clients is, the conversation in the living room with our clients about selling their home has got nothing to do with selling their home anymore. It's got to do with, hey, when this chapter is done, where are you going and how can I best right. position you to get there, right? That is, the, that is the only conversation. That If we can solve that conversation for our clients is, where can I afford to go? Can I go there in a thoughtful, strategic way? And can I wrap up my path in an economically sound way so that it gives me a bigger, better future? I will tell you that where can I afford to go is the question. And Jay, it's interesting. So if you go back to the first thing we talked about, uh, you know, how does this impact me is not the question, right? How do I think about how this impacts me is exactly the question on sure. where can I afford to go? And I think if we can get our client, <clears throat> get our clients to really start thinking about, hey, if I had to go somewhere to have a bigger, better future from, for me and my family, where can I afford to go? And if I can reverse engineer that process, what, what lies for that today? So um, overall, just to summarize that, right, I think supply is an issue. I think uh, uh, and, and organic demand has grown so much just because people are feeling wealthy, so much wealthier in their portfolio yeah. than they ever did. They just want to – you're seeing this organic demand. And uh, if we can solve the question, where can I afford to go, I think that will start to unlock a lot of our inventory problems. Wow. There's so, so much to unpack there, dude. I, I... I heard so much, and I'll do my best to kind of tie into some of it. But what I'm hearing almost is is that the nature of things will almost solve for demand rather than searching for a reason to solve or for a way to solve for supply. 
Is that kind of like we're riding high? We have all these Correct. these economic 100%. indicators, right? So, so we d- we don't need to pull out drastic measures to solve for supply. Okay, thus day to day boots on the ground practitioners, we need to solve for what's next. And I think you're absolutely right in what you said. Like what I see each and every day is not uh, I and that they don't approach the process with an I will settle for. They you know air quotes. They approach the process with what can I curate? What is my life? This is a decision that is so intensely grounded in their own self-definition, like their own life, like what they see their life to be. Like they're not going to do anything unless they can better their, they they can better their entire situation, Gabe. So dude, so much good stuff there. Um, a little, little bit of a, little bit of a caveat, man. So I, I, I had the pleasure of going to NAR to represent, uh, our local association uh, in Chicago, I don't know, I guess it was about a month ago now, and I, I got, I got, had the pleasure of hearing NARS chief economist Lawrence Yoon speak. And this ties into a little bit of what you were saying in the change of sentiment amongst millennials. And Gabe and I did an, an episode called Millennials Rule the World back in, back in August where we talked about just that very sentiment. But Lawrence seemed to posit in his, in his opening comments at NAR that you know, certain markets around the country, you know, certainly probably Southern California where you're at, Sharon, you know, Manhattan, Miami Beach, you know, very, very, you know, higher priced markets where, you know, home ownership is less reachable for some folks. He posited that the millennial generation is becoming largely apathetic to ownership in those areas. And he says, he, he seems to suggest that it's going to trend that way across the United States. And he cites, you know, home ownership rates in Western Europe in the low thirties and low 30%, you know, uh, range. And the United States is at its lowest level in 30 years. And what are, what are your thoughts on that, man? Let's expand a little bit on that millennial generation and their thoughts on home ownership. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think Lawrence is spot on. And if you had to, um, boil down the concern or the trepidation that I have Jay about, uh, the housing market and the overall residential real estate economy uh, as, as it's presented to us right now. And Lawrence hit it on the head. It is uh, affordability. And let me give yeah. you a, like I was doing some simple math yesterday, right? So let me walk you through a very simple thought experiment. So okay. uh, what price, I always think about what prices should look like, let, I'll take California, like what prices should look like in California if the market was clearing, which means that if we were able to compute where the median household would be spending, say, 35% of their income on housing, after accounting for what the- should it cost? Yeah. Correct, right? So, so, for, so performing this calculation, right, on a statewide level, home prices in California should some, be somewhere around 365,000 to 425,000. Just go wow. with those numbers, right? Now, here's the best part: the current median price. So, we're talking 365 to 425. Should, should it should that's where it, it should kind of be. The current median price for California is over five fifty. So right that that means that the state is roughly twenty four percent over. So the affordability so you, you've got close to thirty percent of the population that just can't even afford anything. So yeah, um, on, on states like California, were and, and it's not and I wouldn't say it's not only California. There are also like you know micro markets around every state that we have where affordability becomes a significant issue. And that's the number one thing that scares me, that the, yeah. the affordability. And when we start moving towards a 
when the when the renting economy on the the percentage of renters to owners uh, starts to skew, where our we were built, our economy was built on the American dream. Well, sure. whether it's good or bad or not is irrelevant. We have built our entire uh, the, the United States has built yes. its entire uh, kind of economic regime on home ownership being kind of a significant part of that American dream, not the renting stuff. And it's not that it's bad. The, the problem is. If now you have a different composition of renters versus owners and it's starting to skew that way, it's just going to change the way the economy functions. And that um, that structural kind of change is where stuff starts to break. Yep. And we don't know how to predict or prepare our clients for that because we don't know that. And that's what scares me more than everything. Wow. So, so tell me, Sharon, I'm interested to know your take on kind of my response to it. And, and, and I guess I should say, you know, as a, as a, as an add on to that, we had a, a CPA, a very talented local CPA and attorney in our office the other day to kind of coach our agents on some of the proposed changes in the House and Senate bills that are, you know, getting ready to go to reconciliation for the, you know, the, the tax, uh, the tax cuts. So one of, one of the proposed changes and who knows how it'll shake out in reconciliation, but is to take the capital gains exemption from Two out of the last five years of home ownership, you know, not not home ownership, but occupancy, right? Your owner occupant, two of the last five years, you're exempt currently. The proposal is to take that to five of the last eight years, which in my estimation will make it a lot harder, especially in an you know, in a price appreciating market for people to turn over and buy new homes. Cause we know on average, I think the statistic is somewhere six to seven years is when the average homeowner in the United States turns over. So certainly that, that, that pushes that number out a little bit. And, and it, it looks like there are some other, you know, proposed changes in these tax, tax, uh, tax cuts that will have a significant effect on residential real estate. And that combined with the millennial sentiment change and the devaluing of home ownership as a, you know, as, as a part that's integral to their life has got me coaching my agents to turn their focus to representing and becoming investors themselves, uh, investors in, you know, rental real estate. If we're moving towards a rental economy, right? And, and the next generation prefers to rent over buy, well, you need to be one of the owners of rental property. What, what say you about that? So I think uh, I think you're spot on. So we, I've been I've been looking at these tax bills. You know the the, the interest rate, the, the mortgage interest deduction, and uh, the you know the the capital gains are realized on the sale of a principal residence are the two things that our clients and and the overall consumer should be. Uh, thoughtful about. I think it it makes a significant uh, difference, especially in the markets where you have kind of lower inventory right now, but still higher price points. So like a like a Northern California, Southern California, Manhattan, Aspen, uh, you know, uh, Miami Beach, Austin, Nashville, City, Denver, exactly yes. right. And so where the the over five hundred thousand was originally the hey I got this exclusion, but I don't anymore. Uh, I think it's tough, mm-hmm. and, and uh, so let let me let me back up and go back to the original premise. Right, my original premise was, you know, how does this affect me? Right, that's where the average consumer goes. Now, if I stop and I say, how do I think about how this affects me? I start to think about it a little differently. And here's what I mean: if I go instantly, Jay, to how does this affect me? 
I go to, oh crap, what do I do? How do I change the way, I, you know, should I sell my home right now? I start to do math in my head right now and I start to go down this math rabbit hole of, should I even own anymore? Should I just yep. rent? Is it much easier <laughs> that way? Right. And that's okay. But, but what I'm suggesting is if I start, if I stop and say, how do I think about this? What I mean is the, the reason why we've had a, uh, the reason why we have what we have today is because of the rules and the structures that's been presented to us today. Correct. And and so now we're we're, we're fundamentally seeing a difference in the structure on how we uh, on how we actually you know grapple with home ownership. So what what I'm suggesting is is that there's just going back to our original point, like there's going to be lower either is there going to be lower turnover? Are people going to move every six to seven years now? I think there's going to be some analysis, and we have probably six to seven years to figure that out. Right. Is well, maybe that cycle is different these days. Maybe this is a maybe we go into uh, hey, based on the economics that have been provided to us, based on uh, growth rates that we see around the country, maybe two point five to three point five years is what home ownership is all about. That's how yeah. it works. That's the best way it works. That's the most uh, structurally sound, economically viable way it works for people. And the difference becomes, hey, do I rent or do I own for three years, or do I rent or do I own? And never move. I mean, we are presented with something, Jay, that I don't. I don't think we can solve yet because we don't have. We've not seen how it plays out. And what I'm suggesting is that there is a new normal coming, and we all are folks that can look ahead and say, "Hey, the average home ownership was seven years, and that's going to start to change to three years. That's going to go to fourteen. Whichever it may be, there's opportunity there, right? So, sure. if the seven years cycle starts to go to three, we have a better job we need to start doing a better job as real estate advisors to figure out where people get in at what they get at what price points they get in. And instead of them, instead of a client deciding when they sell their home, it's going to start becoming the agent's pro agents kind of perspective to advise the client on when they sell their home. It's going to be completely different. Now you start to view your home as a stock or a security that says, yep. Hey, Sharon, you should buy it 285. And as soon as it hits 317, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you to sell it because I need to get you into something else. Because otherwise you're going to start paying significant taxes, right? Our role as real estate advisors completely starts to change. So, so Sharon, does that complexity drive the, the layperson away from homeownership? Does the complexity, the fact that they have to, now I certainly understand that those, there are those that understand the complexity and those capable of trusting the credible professional, which we all strive to be, right? So those that invest in their business that understand that can have this conversation credibly, the people of our industry. And that's, that's honestly who I think our listener listeners are from what I've heard. Um, is those credible professionals, but is it your take that it will, it will further create a divide between the have and the have nots maybe? I don't think so, Jay. That's a good question. What I, what I believe is going to happen is we live, I'm a pretty simple guy and we live in a, in a, in a time where we have access to a lot of, uh, you know, kind of great technology and great people. What I believe is going to happen, it's going to fundamentally shift how people get advice. And so it's, it's, it, the original, if you think about it, the original, uh, I, I always say, how can I compare this to something else? So if, if we took away home ownership and says, you know, yes, if, if we made it a economic decision, just like owning, you know, uh, you know, shares of Microsoft, well, originally we trusted a stockbroker or a private wealth advisor to give us advice on when to get in and when to get out of a position. Now there's you know, artificially intelligent software that helps us get in and out of positions, or hmm. you start to balance it out with, you know, um, you know the rest of your portfolio. It, those are all complex things. The average, 
you know, the, the average engineer working at a company does not really know exactly how his stock portfolio right. works, and there's complexity there. Very similar to what we do in real estate, right? Like a lot of our clients yeah. on the surface may think that it's, uh, and I and I have clients that tell me this all the time, right? And they, I'm sure they tell you as well. On the surface, they think all we do is, you know, put up a home for sale and put a sign outside the yard and hit enter on some kind of website. That's what they right. think we do. But when we can walk them through the, you know, the, the hundreds of steps that are involved in being the advisor through the process, because there's so many twists and turns, I think it changes the way we think about the world. Yeah, I think the, the two things that I see are going to happen are, number one, we're going to figure out what a new normal is. What is that? How does it work? Are these rules going to stick around? And number two, we as real estate professionals, we're going to have to change significantly. And I, that, that, that just becomes, we're going to have to start to become more advisor-like as sure. opposed to more transaction-like. You know, I say, I, I say often, Sharon, that there are two types of agents. There are agents that are always forgotten and there are agents that are never forgotten. And I, I think, I think what, what, what I'm hearing from you is, is that, you know, kind of along the lines of what the danger report taught us and some other things is that the cre- the the credible professionals in our industry don't have anything to worry about because we know they'll invest in themselves, they'll understand the new normal, and they'll know how to represent their clients through it. But the ones that are not have everything to worry about. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, 100% right. And, and here's the interesting part. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk you through a very fun story down memory lane. And I think your, uh, your clients and the listener will, will really appreciate this. So think about this, right? In the 1800s, uh, when real estate as a profession just came about, a, a, there was, we lived in the time of non-exclusive listings, right? So you, Gabe, and I would all get uh, access to you know, our client's home, and whoever brought the deal together would get it yeah, done. Sure. So then... Uh, when you, if you move that forward, then we, we started to get small brokerage houses that said, hey, you know what, we have, we're going to organize the real estate and brokerages are going to have listings as a firm. And so the more you know, agents we had in a brokerage, the more listings we had so we could do a better job for the client because we had access to non-scattered inventory. Then that changed to, okay, hey, we, we all need to cooperate because no one has any idea what other agents are doing, so let's set up the MLS. Great. Then a long leap after that, we started putting the listings on the internet, Zillow, Trulia, whatever, but still everybody came back to the agent. Then you have all these, you know, lots of lead generation sites like the Boomtowns, the Conversions, et cetera, where clients would get driven to a specific site where they would search for stuff, but still they would come to an agent. However you slice it across the from the 1800s till today, there's been so much, you know, clearly there's been a structural innovation, especially in the last 10 years. One thing has not changed. At the end of the day, the agent facilitates and, and, and facilitates and is a primary or has a primary responsibility to deliver the result for the client. Absolutely. And that is, that is, there's a significant um, advantage there, not just for the agent, but also for the clients, because culturally, institutionally, and legally, the broker has an advantage only to take care and be a fiduciary for the client. That's a really good thing. We occupy a really good place. I think there's a responsibility that comes with that. And while more things are going to evolve, Jay, in my opinion, on from the 1800s till today and today on forward, I think the economy and how people look at home ownership and the transaction world will change. But us as real estate professionals, we're going to have to morph in how we actually handle that. So regardless of what comes down the pipe, culturally, institutionally, and legally, 
we have the advantage to actually support our clients. Sure. And, you know, I think you put that more eloquently than I have in the past, but I've always said that agents have nothing to worry about. The, well, let me, parap- let, me, let me take a step back. The best agents have nothing to worry about with innovations in technology and, you know, e- even the move from, as you speak of the broker-centric, you know, to the agent-centric, now to the consumer-centric model that exists in residential real estate right now, the agent has an integral role because of those those very same legal structures and, and the trust factor that it requires, you know, and and driving the result. Like, I mean, that, that solely relies within the agent's hands is driving the result. So, dude, I think that's... That's so powerful, and you know, I think that's uh, I, I think that's about a good place to call it quits for the day, man. We really appreciate your time. Um, you know, any parting parting words? Hey, no, you know, thank you for having me on. I'll tell you this: um, I'm going to go back to the same premise, which is a lot of us when big structural things come down the pike, both as advisors and as consumers, we always go to, well, how is this going to affect me? And I, I would, I would, you know. I would offer to you a better question like I did when I started uh, is how do I think about how this is going to affect me? How do I think about how this is going to affect me? And when you start, when we start to do that, I think it allows us to bring in a much bigger and better world, bring in advisors, bring in knowledge, et cetera, and not be really pigeonholed into thinking about how this is going to affect me, uh, but actually start to think about a broader perspective of how do I think about how this is going to affect me? Very awesome, man. And and for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Sharon, he's easy to find. He's on all the social media channels. We will we will put up a, a list of links in our show notes. So if you guys want to jam on over to iTunes and pick that up or to our website at resourcepodcast.net, but specifically want to plug um, Sharon.com, S-H-A-R-R-A-N.com. Also, um, I mentioned very briefly the 5 a.m. club. Uh, greatness is a choice call. You can find that information at 5amclub.net. Uh, Sharon, man, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time today. Hey, Jay and Gabe. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys. All right. Wow. Well, were you taking notes during that? Did you I feel information like the, overload a little did, bit? Did you did you uh, check your emojis on your phone lately? No. Have you checked it? Like there's, no. Are there's you, some, the I'm, mind do, I'm doing the mind blown emoji. Yeah. I've no. I, man, I've had these kind of conversations with Sharon, and it's why I was so passionate about bringing him to the show. And he's a super busy guy, and but, but very thoughtful, and was always very interested. It's just you know working with schedules and that kind of thing. I, I was I was happy that we were able to get him. In. Oh yeah. And just kind of bring some of the things that I've had conversations with him over a Moscow mule, right? <laughs> bring it, bring it to the, the resource podcast listeners. So and I think it was great too to hear, especially someone that's an influencer the way Sharon is say something that we've been hearing from so many of our different guests from tech and people in the industry talking about how the agent will always be an important part of the process and it's not going to be replaced. And like you said, the best agents have nothing to worry about. And I think that's what's important to remember. No, be a have, not a have not. Be a have. There you go. That's it. That, that, you know, that might need to go on the wall. <laughs> be a have. That's, that's pretty good. Well, hey, remember, head over to resourcepodcast.net after you get done listening. There's going to be links to all of the information that you could possibly want about Sharon and all the things that he's done. Uh, but also, don't forget that on our website, we've got the complete buyer's book up. And there's going to be new stuff coming soon. So make sure if you're not a qualified subscriber yet, you've gone ahead and click that button to become a subscriber. Uh, but other than that, we're going to be back soon. Make sure to stay tuned to Resource Real Talk about real estate. We'll see you next time. Bye, folks.